This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. The church cannot exist uh, without its members. Uh, I mean, obviously. Uh, and uh, some people, uh, you know, like to um, play one off against the other. You know, they sort of say, well, you know, it's, it's not individuals and individualism is a community and uh, the individual should sink his or her uh, individuality into the, the, the community, work for the good of the community and so on. Um, or vice versa, you know, the community um, uh, should accommodate individuals in different ways and do, so, you know, do something for everybody uh, as you go along. Um, clearly there is a balance here. Uh, that you cannot be a Christian on your own, uh, that to be saved, part of salvation, is to be saved into a community of believers, into the body of Christ. Uh, and uh, the body of Christ imagery, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, most clearly, uh, is a very interesting one because um, the Apostle Paul in that chapter illustrates for us very clearly how individuals and community uh, interact. Uh, on the one hand, he recognizes the individual, uh, you know, by saying um, that the individual person is like the eye or the ear or the hand uh, or whatever it is of the body, you know, and the body parts do exist and they are important. Uh, but he then goes on to say, um, the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. Uh, you know, uh, the functions are different. The, the, um, uh, the place which each occupies in the body is important, uh, but not to the exclusion of the others. They, we, we work together in our different functions. And, and this is what the community, this is what the body is like. Uh, and the unity of the body uh, is found not by imposing the, um, the gifts or the ministry or the, the inclinations of one of the parts on everybody else. Uh, you know, it's not as if the eye turns to the hand, the ear, the foot and so on and says, you've got to be like me. Uh, you know, you, uh, I, I, I know I know what's right, and uh, I'm going to tell you to be like this. Uh, no, the principle of unity is Christ. He is the head uh, of the uh, of the body, uh, and of course also the head of the church. And our unity with one another um, uh, is in Him, because our election is in Him. Uh, you see, if I am called. Uh, to be a child of God. Uh, I am called in Christ. I am called to be united with Christ. And the degree to which my election is, uh, is effective, uh, the degree to which my, my Christian life um, uh, functions, uh, can only be measured by uh, the degree to which I am submitted uh, and united to Jesus Christ. Um, and of course that uh, principle 
immediately takes away uh, any um, reliance on, on my own uh, gifts, uh, shall we say. I mean, let's say I'm a hand, all right. Well, hands are very useful, they're very important, and uh, I wouldn't want to lose my hand. And, you know, I, it, it has a lot of, uh, of things going for it, yes. But detached from the body, it is of no use. Uh, you see what I mean. And same with me. I mean, all the talents that my hand has, if, if, if my hand were not uh, obeying the, the commands of the head, um, I mean, it, 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 would be, it would be wasting uh, time. Or if the commands of the head were not those of Christ, you know, I mean, my hand might be doing all kinds of things that it shouldn't be doing because the hand could be a very useful means of, say, stealing uh, or, or something like this. I mean, it could be put to that use. Um, and, and, and all its talents could be, could be abused in this way uh, if uh, it were not connected to, uh, to the head, uh, in this case, uh, to, to, to Christ. If we did not have the mind of Christ, uh, and again, Paul says this in Corinthians. You see, he writes to the Corinthians and says, we have the mind of Christ. This is what um, governs us. This is what controls us. This is what is our unity and what is our salvation. And I think this is a very important image to, to get in our minds because when we talk about these subjects, when we talk about election and salvation and so on and our experience of them, The, the picture of being part of the body, being part of the body of Christ, is, I think, very uh, apposite and very important uh, because uh, it, it answers questions like, um, you know, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God and so on? Uh, well, uh, of course, if you just examine the, the, the thing in itself, you don't know. I mean, you can't, you know, uh, uh, analyze yourself uh, to death because uh, that's where you'll end up, dead. Um, you have to see yourself in, 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 in the context, in the connection, in connection with others uh, and with the overall principle. Uh, and remember, uh, you see, that whether we like it or not, a body can survive with its hands cut off. I mean, some people do, sadly. But, I mean, it's possible. But the reverse is not true. You know, you can cut off just about any body part and still survive, but not the head. And we need, we need to remember that, you see. I'm not for one minute advocating that we should do this, of course, you know, no. Um, but uh, but it's, it's an exercise in humility and in seeing our own place. You see that, that I am what I am, I am who I am because of where I fit into the body, because of where I fit in, uh, in relation to the head, and not because of something that I have in myself. And so when I come to discuss things like election uh, and so on, this is how uh, I, I have to understand it. You see that, uh, that 
the life that I live, to the extent that I live it, is a life I live in Christ, because of Christ, with Christ, and that anything else um, uh, is, is not life. You know, I may be, may be imagining it. Uh, and I suppose you could say, uh, you see, that uh, it's, it's a little bit like having flowers, uh, you know, in a, in a vase or in a jar or something like that. I mean, you, you go out and you pick flowers uh, and, and you put them in a jar and you sort of, you know, arrange them and everything. And they look nice. Uh, but they're actually dead because they're cut off from from the, from their roots, from the source of their of their life. And the importance you see from from election is that we have to, we are guided by a mind, we are guided by a purpose. We are uh, we are servants of God, and uh, and we have to find our place. You see, and live according to to what is right uh, for us to do, uh, and not. Um, uh, you know, not try to step out of uh, the place which God has given to us or the role which God has given to us. I mean, I can't do everything. I need other people. You know, I'm part of a body. Uh, and I need you just as much as you need me. And, uh, and I can't look down on you either. Um, you know, and this is again Paul's point um, in, uh, when he writes to the Corinthians, you know, that you can't look at some other part of the body and feel superior uh, to them. Uh, and again, the body image is, is, a, is a very good one because um, if, you know, if my little toe hurts, I hurt. And my little toe, which I don't notice most of the time, suddenly becomes an extremely important part of my body, uh, you know, and I'm not prepared to, I, I, can't, I can't be at rest until I deal with it. And again, we need to remember this because it's part of the election, it's part of the, 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 the community to which we belong, that um, it's not just that I'm part of the body, but I feel the, the hurt and pain of every other part of the body. Uh, and. Uh, although, I, the, of course, this kind of language is, is, circulates today very readily and perhaps too easily, uh, one of the things that really struck people in, the, in New Testament times, and you see this in the New Testament itself, was the fact that Christians cared for one another. You know, the Apostle Paul goes around, and one of the things that he did was he collected money for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, he took from, from Corinth and places like that and went to Jerusalem to relieve the famine there. Now, there are several remarkable things about this. One of them is that, um, of course, hardly anybody in Corinth would have ever been to Jerusalem. I mean, they wouldn't know these people. They were, they were, they were you know, contributing money to complete strangers, um, which was one uh, remarkable thing. Uh, because they felt they had a connection to them. But if you read the New Testament uh, and you read about the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was the headquarters of the Judaizers, the people who didn't like Gentile believers. Uh, I mean, they were the ones who caused the trouble. They would send you know, people out and say uh, to Paul and others, why are you letting Gentiles into the church without circumcising them and so on? And so they were a problem church you know, for the wider community. I mean, and yet it's these Gentile believers in Corinth and elsewhere 
who raised the money to send to Jerusalem. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, when, when Jerusalem is, is in trouble. Uh, and I think that's, that's really very remarkable. Uh, it's not just people that they hadn't met. Um, it's people who didn't really like them uh, and, uh, and didn't really accept them, uh, you know, as, as, as full members of the church or who, were, who were a pain in the neck in their own funny way. All right? So uh, the power, you see, of, of, of the election, the power of, of God, the grace of God, to overcome these things, to overrule, um, and we need to, to remember this, you see, that we belong to a, a, a much bigger um, community, a much wider thing, and we have a responsibility uh, in Christ, you see, to, uh, to love and to serve and, and to work for the health and, and welfare of the whole body, because if one part of the body suffers, the whole body feels it, the whole body suffers. Uh, and, uh, you know, this unity... Um, and reconciliation of the individual and the and the group, uh, you know, together that, that you you can't have one and, uh, and not the other. Um, uh, the the two go together. Uh, that I am an individual, but I, I am an individual who who has to function within the group, um, you know, and balance my own individuality uh, against that. Uh, and we do this, of course. We can only do this in uh, in Christ. Now, who is Christ, and, and what does Christ mean for our salvation? We have seen, of course, that uh, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God who has come into the world. He is sinless, uh, and it is because he is sinless that he can take your sin and my sin on him. And the New Testament says this, you see, that he became, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Uh, he became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is crucified on a tree. You see, is hung on a tree. So um, uh, this uh, this dimension that, that you know Jesus has come, or the Son of God came into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That He came into the world to do what was not natural to Him. Uh, as Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, you know, he who thought it not robbery to be counted equal with God, nevertheless humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, uh, and then being found as a man, you see, went to his death, even death on a cross, uh, you know, and the, wherefore God has highly exalted him. So the Son uh, of God, you see, stepped out of himself, uh, stepped out of his divine nature, out of his uh, privileges of, uh, in the kingdom of heaven for your sake and for mine to come to earth to do this thing for us. And in doing this, of course, to unite us to himself uh, so that um, in his resurrection, ascension and glorification uh, in heaven, uh, he brings us with him, uh, that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the Ephesians, that's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, why is this the case? Because uh, of our union with him, of our relationship with him. But who is he? Uh, what kind of relationship is this? You see, what, uh, what effect does it have? And what does it mean for us in our experience, in our experience of salvation? The word Christ means anointed. 
it's one of the curiosities that I don't know what the reason for this is. But the early Christians had no trouble at all translating the Hebrew word Mashiach, which we have as Messiah, into Greek as Christos. The two words mean the same thing, anointed. But there the word got stuck. And when uh, it came time to, to find a Latin word, the Romans just took over Christus, the Greek word. And of course we have the Greek word. Which is fine, except that nobody knows what it means. Um, you know, uh, it, it's interesting to know if you if you if you study the history of words. The word the, the word Christus Christos comes from a Greek root Chris the Chris root, which is the the uh, ointment the anointing idea. Uh, and another form of this word is chrisma. You can put ma on the end. Uh, and, and of course, out of that you get chrism, uh, which is an unusual word, but it's found in the church for the, the sort of holy, uh, it's not really oil, but you know, chrism that, the, that the, you might be anointed with, that babies are anointed with in baptism and so on. Um, but out of chrism, through popular development, has come the word cream. Because a cream is a form of ointment, you see, through French creme, uh, which is a corruption of, of chrism. Uh, so, so the word Christ and the word cream sort of come from the same, uh, same root, um, uh, the idea of anointing. But, and you can see it in the word cream, the way the, word, the meaning of the word cream carries with it still a sense of ointment or can do. I mean, not ice, not ice cream, but, um, you know, Nivea cream uh, would, would certainly have that, uh, that dimension to it. But the word Christ has to be explained, which is a pity in a way, um, you know, because people lose, lose sight of this. They lose sight of the connection which there is, uh, because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were three people, three types of people, who were recognized by anointing. Uh, these were the prophets, the priests, and the kings, uh, all of whom were anointed for their function. And Christ is the anointed one. You see, the, the, this concept of anointing, uh, this is what it's about, uh, that, that Jesus is to be the anointed one, the one who fulfills the offices for which, as we call them, the, the roles, if you like, the positions, uh, for which uh, people in the Old Testament times were anointed. And I pointed this out, uh, I point this out to people all the time, that in the Old Testament, there is no one person who has all three. Uh, you get people who are prophets and kings, like David. You get people who are prophets and priests, like Habakkuk. But you never get a priest-king in Israel. 
Uh, the only priest king is Melchizedek. And of course, the whole point about Melchizedek is that he's not an Israelite and that his priesthood is not normal uh, from the Israelite standpoint uh, and so on. So that's the exception, if you like, that proves the rule. But Jesus is all three. You see, he combines in a unique way uh, the, uh, the anointed offices. And this is why he is the anointed one. This is why this, uh, this is the meaning of this. You see, it's a great pity, uh, as I say, that the, the, the meaning of his name uh, is obscured uh, you know, in, in modern usage. It's a, we, we need to recover this somehow. But more than this, uh, you see, Jesus is not simply, does not simply occupy the three offices of the Old Testament important though that is. He also fulfills them in, an, in a unique way because a prophet, what is a prophet? A prophet is a, a man or a woman, we have female prophets, um, a woman who receives a message from God and then shares that message with the people. All right. So the prophet is really a channel for God to speak to, to his people. But Jesus is a prophet, but he is also the word. When Jesus shares the word of God, he is speaking about himself. And he says so. You know, he tells the scribes and the Pharisees this. He says, you know, you, you read the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that speak of me. Uh, you, you know, he's quite upfront about it. If you understood what you were reading, you would understand that uh, me, would, uh, you would recognize me and you would accept me because this is what they're really talking about. So prophet and word are fused into a single phenomenon. The same, of course, is true with priest and sacrifice. The, the Old Testament priest was somebody who found a sacrifice, a spotless lamb, and made the sacrifice on behalf of the people, but also for himself. He needed, he needed forgiveness uh, and atonement as much as anyone else. Uh, and so priest and sacrifice are, uh, are different in the Old Testament. But in Christ, of course, they are united because as the great high priest, uh, he sacrifices himself. He is also the victim. Uh, and so uh, those two things are united. Uh, he is the king, the son of David, but whereas David ruled over a kingdom which was in constant rebellion against him uh, one way or the other, I mean, they certainly weren't identified uh, with each other, um, the kingdom of, God, of Christ, of course, is essentially his body, uh, that, uh, you know, that he is the head uh, it, uh, and we are the body. So king and kingdom are fused into one. Um, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in the case of Christ. So we have these things, you see, uh, in him. Uh, and uh, he is therefore the fulfillment, uh, not just, uh, he's not just the messenger, but he's also the message. Um, and this is a huge difference, you see. This is why Jesus is not to be compared with Moses or Elijah or somebody like this. Uh, and indeed, uh, a difficulty that we have uh, when, uh, as Christians, we deal with Jews or Muslims, uh, because uh, if it, you know, a Jewish person points to Moses, say, uh, and a Muslim will point to Muhammad, 
Muhammad, well, let's take Muhammad. Moses is a, a different sort of character. But Muhammad is a prophet, but he's not the message. I mean, he, he brings the message, he gives the message, and so on. But Muslims do not worship Muhammad. In fact, anyone who did that, uh, you know, that would be about the, the worst blasphemy you could have in Islam. I mean, to worship the creature instead of the creator, uh, I mean, would be a terrible thing. And this is what Muslims reproach Christians for. You see that Christians worship Christ, which to them is a blasphemy. But for us, of course, who are Christians, it is a necessity. It is a necessity because Christ is not just the, the, the vehicle by which God communicates to us. He is God in human flesh. And this, of course, uh, affects our understanding of salvation. Because if a prophet comes to preach salvation, which they did, you know, you get Isaiah, for instance, chapter 52, you know, blessed, uh, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good, good news and so on. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, salvation is coming and, uh, and all the rest of it. There is this, this uh, prophecy of salvation. But you still don't really know what the salvation will be. You know it's coming, but you haven't seen it yet. You know, it's something else, something you wait for, uh, and something you, you don't really know. Whereas Jesus, who, who, who proclaims himself as the Savior, uh, not just as the Savior, but also as our salvation, that our salvation is being united with him, gives us a completely different uh, picture of, uh, of what salvation is because of our experience that to, to be in him is to be saved. To be in him is to have salvation, because he is salvation. It also, of course, frees us up from worrying too much about what heaven will be like. Uh, I mean, some Christians do this, and they, they, uh, they seem to think they're very pious. Um, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven, you know, and, uh, and, and ask... Uh, Whoever, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know who you would ask right now, but um, well, you know, uh, ask Pope John Paul II or uh, you know Billy Graham or whoever it is, uh, you know, what they had for breakfast and or what was the secret of their uh, of their success or you know, you know what I mean. Some some silliness like this. You get to heaven and you're going to have a chat with whoever, and I think to myself, you know. This is not really what heaven is about. Heaven is about the experience of Christ, the presence of Christ, that when we get to heaven, we'll be so caught up with him. Either we'll know the answers to the questions before we ask them, or we won't, we won't be interested. We just won't ask them. We'll have other things to do. Uh, you see what I mean? So, uh, and, but th this is important because it's pointless for us trying to speculate about heaven. You know, what will heaven be like? We, because heaven will be the fullness of the presence of Christ. And because we can know the presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives now, we have a foretaste of heaven, what the Bible calls the first fruits of heaven.
and that's enough. You see, the king, I mean, the picture of the king is uh, Christ the head. Uh, and what is his kingdom? You know, what is the kingdom of Christ? Well, the kingdom of Christ is not, and of course Jesus spent most of his ministry telling people it's not a place. You know, it's not Israel or Palestine or whatever. I mean, as if Jesus is going to chase out the Romans and take over. It's not to be understood like that. You know, an earthly kingdom, if you like. It is a spiritual reality. Uh, and uh, those who are united to Christ are his subjects. That's the kingdom. I mean, you and I are the kingdom. You know, we're, we're, we belong to the kingdom. When we pray, thy kingdom come, you know, uh, what are we doing? We're praying for him to come, really, and, and to bring his kingdom with him, you know, so that we can, uh, uh, we can share in the kingdom. We're, well, we belong to the kingdom, um, but we're kind of like ambassadors, you know, sort of roving diplomats and so on. And, of course, when the kingdom comes, uh, we'll be going home, you know, uh, it's kind of like an eternal furlough, if you like. Um, you, you know, we, 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 we retire from the, from the foreign field, from the battlefield, uh, and, and go back to our uh, original home. I mean, that's the image uh, that you get in the scriptures. It's a very, very interesting, very powerful image. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.